0: grateful to have you this morning. Say with me, Jesus has something for me today. He's got something good for you today. I want to welcome everybody. I want to encourage you to uh, share the stream. Uh, we're doing, i uh, going to finish up the third chapter of John. So we're doing expositional teaching. So what we're doing is we're going through the book of John and section by section, chapter by chapter, and really trying to pull apart what the Bible is saying in these books. And uh, full disclosure, I was going to skip the last you know, 14 verses, and uh, not for any particular reason, but just to keep, it, keep everything moving. And I felt like the Lord's like, you're not gonna skip that, are you? And I'm like, okay, not if you tell me to. I'm not Jesus, I'm, I'm not gonna skip it. So I'm gonna read it for you, and then we're gonna learn a little bit about the scripture this morning, and you're gonna get something out of this. By the grace of God. And so we're going to talk about it. So John chapter 20, chapter 3, verse 22 through verse 36, and then we're going to unpack it. It says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them, and he baptized. Now John the Baptist was also baptizing near Anan, near Salim specific region i'll talk to you about talk a little bit about that because there was much water there and they came and people were coming to john and they were being baptized and john was still baptizing because john had not been thrown into prison yet And then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and some of the Hebrews, some of the Jewish people, about purification or about baptism. And they came to John and said, and so the disciples come to John and say, Rabbi, the one who was with you beyond the Jordan, the one that you testified about, this guy's baptizing too, and there are more people going to him than are coming to us. And so John answered and said, no one can receive anything unless it be given to them from above. And you yourself bear witness with me that I said that I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom stands with the bridegroom and celebrates because he hears the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, say it with me, he must increase, increase. and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, but the one who comes from the earth speaks only of things of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen, he speaks what he has seen, and he testifies of what he receives, but yet no one receives his testimony. He who receives his testimony, again speaking of Jesus, certifies that this word is true. For whom God has sent speaks the words of God. God does not give the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into the Son's hand. Therefore, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but the one who does not believe will not see this eternal life, but the wrath of the judgment abides upon him. And so, what's happening here is um, it says after these things. After what things? Well, the third chapter of John breaks down a little bit like this. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he celebrates Passover. So he's in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. He's there for a few weeks, and he's there, and he's waiting, and he's hanging out. And then, while he's in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Passover, he has an encounter with a priest named Nicodemus. That was last week, and so he had. And after, after the. After the Passover and after this uh, two-hour discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus goes to a place called Bethany. And the Bible says that he was baptizing, but it tells us in the next chapter that Jesus wasn't really baptizing. His disciples were baptizing. You say, well, why was that? Well, the obvious reason is is that, you know, there was always... Like, if Jesus baptized you, can you imagine? People saying, you know, who baptized you? Well, Paul baptized me. Well, Apollos baptized me. I was baptized by Peter. Nah, man, I was baptized by Jesus, yo. You know what I'm saying? It would be this competitive thing. So part of it was Jesus was, was doing that. The other part of it was as Jesus was doing ministry training. This is basically what's going on here. And so there's an overlap in ministries. There's an overlap between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. And John, the writer John, explains this to us. The other gospels don't don't tell us this. And the other gospels basically portray that once Jesus himself was baptized by John, John was thrown into prison. But John's saying, no, 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 that's not exactly the way that it went down. It went down like this. And so Jesus and John's ministries are overlapping. Jesus is ministering in an area Area called Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. So to understand this, this is so this is like Jesus's Airbnb. This is Jesus's vacation home. Right? This is where he hangs out. When Jesus had to come to Jerusalem, every Jewish male had to appear in Jerusalem three times a year. And so they were typically there somewhere between 30 and 90 days or at least, know it's at least 60 days. So they're usually between 60 and 90 days a year. They had to be in Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. This is what God required, and there's reasons for that. And so Jesus would need a home away from home, and so when Jesus being, uh, you know, going to celebrate the feast, obedient and observant, he would go there, and he would stay in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So this was kind of like his Airbnb, and he would stay in Bethany. This is his vacation home. So Jesus is is baptizing around the area of Bethany. John has gone north, so what's happening is, is these two ministries are overlapping, but the two ministries are beginning to, 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 to split. You know, Jesus is coming more on the scene and beginning to manifest or come into the ministry that he was sent to to bring, and John's ministry is now shifting out of the scene. And so John goes to a place called Shechem in the north, and he's baptizing. It says, Anon Salim. Most believe there's all this dispute over it, but to me it's like, you know, I don't even wanna get into the theological debates, but I believe he was baptizing in Shechem and there's good reasons for that. And he was baptizing in a reason called Shechem. And the reason that he was baptizing in Shechem is the Bible says there was a lot of water there. But the thing to understand is that John was a prophet, right, so he's a prophet. And so everything John did was prophetic. And so Jesus said, of all those born of women, there was none greater than John. Of all the prophets, there was none greater than John. So John, in Jesus' opinion, was the greatest of all prophets. John goes to Shechem because Shechem represented something to the Hebrew people. Shechem represented something prophetically in the scripture. Shechem is the place where uh, Joseph's bones were buried. Right? So when they came out of Egypt, they took Joseph's bones. If you know the story of Joseph, Joseph said, don't leave me in Egypt when you all come out of Egypt, make sure you take me with him. And so they took Joseph out of Egypt. They Buried him in Shechem. Shechem is also the place when the Hebrew children were getting their inheritance. So they come into the Promised Land, and Joshua was giving them their inheritance. And it was at this location where Joshua said, "Choose you who you will serve." So Shechem is a place of decision, right? And so it was a place where God said, where, where Joshua brought them in and said, "Look, if you want to go serve the gods of the culture." Go serve the gods of the culture. If you want to serve serve the Lord, serve the Lord. But stop being divided with your attention. Make up your mind. Go all in with Jesus or go all in with the culture. But don't stay on the fence. This is basically what Joshua told the people. And so it was at Shechem that he told them that. So Shechem is a place of decision. We see Shechem as a place of decision in the New Testament because the woman at the well is at Shechem. Shechem because that's where Jacob's well was. Jacob's well was at Shechem. And so Jesus going to the woman at the well and ha- making her and bringing her to a place of decision was at Shechem as well. And he was talking with her and saying, you know, who, you know, who do we serve? Do we serve you know, the gods of my fathers or do we serve the gods that you Jews say we should serve? And Jesus said, listen, it's not about any kind of religious system. It's about worshiping God in spirit and truth, right? You're looking at the wrong thing. You need to look to the person, right? And through the person comes the reality. And so Jesus brought her to a place of decision. And so what John is doing is he's making the people understand. At Shechem, he's saying, you guys need to choose Jesus, this is basically what he's doing. He's bringing the people to a decision. The baptism's taking place, and he says all of that. It was also a place of purification. So if you want references on this, I didn't give this first service, but I'll give it to you. Genesis 35 is one. Um, the story of Jacob is another one. Uh, Joshua 24 is another one. And then the woman at the well, I think that's in Matthew. So those are just points of reference. All those things happened at Shechem. Um, uh, so the Jews are coming to, to John at Shechem, and they're saying, what's up with this baptism thing, man? You know you you guys do know that there's other people baptizing too so why do you keep doing the purification ritual if if there's another guy down the street that's doing a purification ritual and the disciples were like what somebody else is baptizing too and so they go up to John and they say John we need to up our game man the guy that you testified about that guy that you were witnessing about and you know remember the Lamb of God guy you know he's he's baptizing too we need to up our game and John tells his disciples listen All of this is of God. You've heard me say that I'm not the Christ. I'm the forerunner. I must decrease, he must increase, and we'll get to that in a moment. But so what's happening here is John is explaining to his disciples none of this can happen. This separation that you're seeing, that where I'm going one way, he's going another, all of this is of God. And he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm the forerunner. And this is an extremely, so in this chapter, there are two very Key places where John will illuminate something to us if we're paying attention. The first thing that John illuminates to us is that John knew who he was. It's the first thing. John's like, look, I'm not the Christ, I'm the forerunner. And so John lived his life based upon a purpose that was based upon his identity, that was based upon his mission, his mandate, all of those things. So John knew who he was. Probably the most important thing or one of the most important understandings that Christians need to have is who they are. It's it's paramount. So here's the idea, right? So when you give your life to Christ, if you're outside of Jesus, you're outside of everything. You're outside of covenants, you're outside of salvation, you're outside of promises, and you're outside of the kingdom. When you come to Christ, you come into salvation, you come into promises, you come into covenants, and you come into a kingdom. This kingdom is alive, right? This world that Jesus brought with him and said, the kingdom of heaven is here. I brought it with me. You not only can enter it, you can obtain it, and you can see it working in your life. It's a real kingdom. This kingdom that Jesus brings, most Christians either don't understand it or they don't understand the principles by which this kingdom works and how it activates. And this is the issue. And so this is why identity is important because identity opens up for us. It, it not only, it, you know, we come to Jesus, we're in a kingdom, but very few see the kingdom manifest in any way. This kingdom should be operating in your life. You should see power. You should see dominion. You should see victory. Doesn't mean you don't go through things. Doesn't mean you don't get hit with things. But it means you get back up and you keep moving. And there there, there should be layer upon layer of your life that is being transformed. And the king's dominion is your world is his world. His world is your world. The kingdom is a culture. So the kingdom is not the church's culture. The church creates a culture. The church's culture is not Jesus's culture. Right, the, Jesus, the kingdom culture is not the world's culture. The, when, when the Bible uses the word culture or it uses the word world, it means system of thinking. And so the kingdom is, a bit, is, is not just spiritual. It's based also upon a mindset, the mind of Christ, right? Romans, well, that's in Romans 2, but Romans 12 says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will prove or make known the perfect will of God. When does the perfect will of God come into your life? When you begin to change it, when, you be, when your thinking begins to align with his. That's one of the things it's saying. And the way that our thinking aligns is we start thinking on earth as it is in heaven. We start thinking in terms of the kingdom culture. We don't think in terms of the church culture. We don't think in terms of the world culture. The way the kingdom works is we have to enter into it. And one of the ways that not just enter into it, we have to bring it forth. You're created on purpose with a purpose. Right? So the kingdom comes about in people's lives. I'm going to give it, say it with me. It comes in stages. Come on, you do better than that. It comes in stages. There you go. Say it with me. It is a lifestyle over a lifetime. So the kingdom is a lifestyle. You're a Christian, right? You're a Christite. You're an image of Jesus. You're not supposed to live like a Christian. I'm going to live like a Christian but you're supposed to live like a kingdom. You're supposed to live from the kingdom. It's totally different. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a system of external controls. It's a, it's a realization of an inward reality because the kingdom comes into us and the, that inward reality begins to dominate our lives. It becomes part of what we are. It becomes who we are, not something that we do. People that try to act like a Christian, it's always self-management. That's another story. And I, was, I promised myself I wasn't gonna get too deep on this, but I'm gonna. So I'm going to hold it, right? So it comes, it comes in stages. So what God has created you for, he's created you not only to enter into this kingdom, but every person is created with a purpose. Did you know that? The Bible says you're created for good works, good purposes, which God laid be, made known beforehand before the foundations of the world. So you have a destiny, you have a purpose. Does anybody here believe they were born for a purpose? Yeah. Let's play the other side. Does anybody here not believe they were born for a purpose? This doesn't happen, right? Children know they're born for a purpose. You ask a little girl or a little boy with that, what, you know, oh, mommy, I want to be this or I want to be that. They all, they all sense. They have this sense of purpose in them. And the reason is, is that we are created with an eternity within our heart. We are created by God with this sense of purpose. We never know what this purpose is. But but what God wants is us in the kingdom and fulfilling our purposes inside of the kingdom. Now, when I say that, here's what happens. uh, And this happens often is that people get this sense of purpose and they're like, I'm off to my purpose. And they think that the the line between here and your purpose is a straight line. It's not. It's not a straight line, right? You're never going to get a clean run at your purpose. The devil's not going to let you. That's that's one of the reasons, but th- so the idea is to understand that you have a purpose. It's my grandson. You have a purpose. I'm like squirrel. There's my go- my daughter. Anyway, my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> There's my son-in-law. There's like- so uh, so the purposes, So God's purpose is for you is for you to come out of darkness and in, out of darkness and into light, right? To come into covenant, to come into promises, and then to come into purpose. And this is part of this is part of what this is the meaning of life, Christian. I'm literally giving you the meaning of life. What does it all mean? I'm showing it to you. You're created by God, for God, for his purposes, for his, his, his reality. What does that look like? Well, that's, that's what I'm going to try to talk to you a little bit about. So John knew who he was. You come out of darkness. The second step, of come, once you come to Christ, you must know and understand who you are. Look. So I said it, I'm trying to think about the way I said it really good in first service. I'm trying to think of how I said it, but I'm going it's going to come back to me the way that, the way that you, look, you, you don't need to change at all. You can be loved and accepted by God. You still get the warm fuzzies. You still love, you're still part of his family and you'll be like 99% of all believers who really do nothing, who really pursue nothing and who never ever come into an understanding of how God has made them or why God has made them. Nor they did, And they're always empty and not being able to find their way. You're perfectly fine with that. So what I'm telling you, you don't have to do. But what I'm telling you is the gateway. And what I'm telling you are the keys to how the kingdom works, right? And the first step is, com- is coming to Jesus. The second step is understanding who you are. Most Christians don't understand who they are. Right? And if they do have a vague understanding of who they are, they don't really understand the meaning of what that truly is. So most Christians you talk to, I'm a sinner saved by grace. They'll say something like that. We don't use that language around here. Why? Because the Bible doesn't use that language. It says, by grace you were saved, but it never calls a sinner saved by grace. The Bible's language for the believer is sons and daughters or children of God. Right? So the first thing you have to come to understand is that you are a son or a daughter of the highest. This is why we whack you with it every single week. You're a son and daughter of the highest because if you don't understand who you are, nothing happens. And what does it mean to understand who you are? It means this becomes the filter of your life. Every, this is what it means. When you begin to understand who and what you are, this is the first step because now, you under, now you, that becomes your grid. What does this look like? It looks like this. Kevin, you're a husband. No, I'm a son who's a husband. Kevin, you're a pastor. No, I'm a son who's a pastor. You're a father. No, I'm a son who's a father. My, my relationship and my identity as a son precedes everything. That is the filter in the grid that my life flows through. Not my occupation, not my identity, not what somebody else tells me I am or what other people think I am or what, it, what I even think of myself. My opinion of myself is irrelevant. I didn't call myself son. He calls me son. You understand that? I didn't give myself that title. Jesus gave it to me. And so for me to accept any title that is not the one that he gave me is to diminish myself beneath the standard that he's established over my life. So when you see yourself any less than a son or a daughter, you are diminishing the standard by which God has established you. to, to speak of yourself in terms of your economics, to speak of yourself in terms of your occupation, to speak of yourself in relationship to earthly families and earthly identities. Oh, I'm a PhD or I'm an MBA or you're whatever. No, 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 no. You're a son or a daughter that has an MBA. Let's just be clear, right? I'm an entrepreneur. No, you're a son or a daughter that is an entrepreneur. This, if you don't get, if you don't begin to create that narrative in your life, nothing's gonna change. This is how the script begins to be flipped is when you start seeing yourself as a son and daughter of the highest. You may not have a clue what that means, but you've got to create that narrative. Understanding what that means is another step. I'm talking to you guys about kingdom here, right? I'm not talking to you about nominal Christianity. I'm talking to you about kingdom. Jesus wants to bring the kingdom, does he not? Right, seek first the... So what are we supposed to understand before everything? The kingdom, right? The gospel of the kingdom will be preached and then the end will come. Right? It's not the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And so this is what I'm talking to you about is about the king's dominion and how the promises, the power, and, and the life of God becomes known in you. If you don't know who you are, forget it. If you don't stop creating you know, you know, Christianity, gospel, kingdom, this stuff is... What, I'm a son of the highest. I, don't, I tell myself that every day, all the time. No matter what my identity is or what I try to seek, I am a son before I am anything because that's who the Lord calls me. That activates in me this sense of identity. Then the next question is, what does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? That is the next operative question. That's a, that's a next layer in the whole thing, right? What does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? So, the, so I'm just giving it to you in stages. So stage one is come out of darkness. Stage two is understand your identity. Stage three, what does it mean to be a son or a daughter? Well, one of the things it means is understanding how God has made you. How has God made you? We're all made very uniquely. I don't know if you know that or not. If you look to the left and look to the right, you're going to see that not all of us are the same. If you talk to people, you're going to realize that not everybody's the same. So how has God made you? This is based upon the activation of spiritual gifts. What, how is God, you, so when you're understanding how, how you're made, and you're understanding the person that you are, it relates to the activation of the spiritual gifts, number one. You can't do it. You have no ability to do life without the Holy Spirit. Give it a shot. Tell me how it works, right? You think you can do it without the Holy Spirit? Good luck, right? The only thing you're going to do is waste time because you can't do it. You've been given the Holy Spirit, and so what happens is, is that we need to learn to understand spiritual gifts. We need to understand our hearts. Every one of you in here, things matter to you that don't matter to the person next to you. You're like, I can't believe that. I can't can't believe that people don't believe the same or don't feel the same way that I feel. Well, they don't. Each one of you has a different passion, a different heart set. Some of you care about this. Some of you care about this. Some of you care about that. Your heart, so it's understanding spiritual giftedness. It's understanding where your heart is coming from. It's understanding your abilities. What are you good at? You're not good at everything, but you're good at something, right? Some of you are front end. Some of you are the ones who are out front. Some of you are on the back end. You know, you prefer the administrative and that kind of... It doesn't matter which one. One cannot do it without the other. The front cannot succeed without the back. The back cannot succeed without the front. Some of you have administrative gifts. Some of you have mercy. You have compassion. You have a great ability for that. Some of you... It just doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're good at management. You're good at leadership. There's something good that you do. So it's understanding spiritual gifts, understanding your heart, right? Understanding your abilities, understanding your personality. Are you an extrovert or an introvert, right? What kind of... What is your personality like? And understanding that. And then it's understanding your experiences. And by understanding these things, we begin to understand each other. God wants to use your experiences, good, bad, and ugly. Good, bad, and ugly. He told Peter, good news. Satan's desire to sift you is wheat. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I've prayed for you. That's a very shocking thing. And he says, and once you've gone through this, I want you to use this experience to strengthen your brothers. So he told them, Right? Even the brokenness, even your losses, even your hurt, even your pain, God wants to use it. This is one of the big things is why people like, okay, American church, American society, American culture, if you're over the age of 40, in the church's eyes, you're almost irrelevant. And that's not just in the church, that's in society as well. We value, this is culture, this is not kingdom culture values that. I mean, look at all the ads on TV. Look at every, look at all the things that they celebrate. Even look at the church. We got a bunch of teenagers up here doing this. Yeah, Jesus. You know, there's nobody over the age of 25 on worship teams anymore. You don't see that at all. What, what do they do? They stop singing. They don't have an ability to play once they get past 25. No, we just don't like that. We don't look at that. That is not how God is. He's not that way at all. Yeah, exactly. The Lord is completely the opposite of that. The Lord creates on the back end of your life. He doesn't spend 30 years of your life or 40 years of your life training you through hardship and experience and pain and loss and trauma and ego and arrogance and ignorance. He doesn't spend all that time training you with that to let you just send that out to pasture. Some of you, you're in a stage of your life where you are the most valuable asset you've ever been. You're smarter right you know what you won't do Oh, I'm not doing that again you know you're able to help people with difficult circumstances and difficult situations that you yourself have been through and you're able to bring comfort you're able to bring counsel you ever to bring you ever to bring a weight of life to two circumstance that you couldn't do when you were in their 20s you know I use this message all the time I had one guy and he was in his 20s and he said well age is not an indicator of wisdom and I said that's true and I said, but neither is youth an indicator of innovation. He was like, oh. you know, we think, we think that if somebody's 25 years old, they're innovative, right? Pfft, really? Most of the problems happen because they have pastors that are in the pulpit way too young, way too young. These guys fall out. These guys drop all the time, you know, and there's just, there's a lot of things in the church and these guys don't, you know, Jesus didn't enter his office of ministry until he was 30, the Jews would not even allow a priest to enter the ministry until they were 30. Figure that one out. If you're under the age of 30, you know what they told you? Sit down and shut up. You can ask questions, but you're not allowed to minister. That was, that was the Hebrew culture. Why? Because in order, to be, in, in order to actually accomplish something in life, you gotta have a little bit of a life experience under you. Doesn't mean you don't try, doesn't mean you're not active, but you know, you're, you're not in a position to counsel anybody at 25 years old. You might be able to counsel your peers, but you're certainly not gonna counsel me. You know? I mean, sorry, it's not gonna happen, right? Whatever you think you are, I'm twice of you, right? I know, You anybody got your kids? You know, your kids wanna counsel you, they wanna start telling you what time it is. I don't know if you got teenagers or not, right? They wanna start telling you. And while sometimes the input's good, you know, it's like, okay, thanks for sharing, thanks for your input. You know, like, yeah, but you don't understand this. And I'm like, dude, whatever you think you know, I know twice as much as you. I've been doing this way longer than you, so just another story. So the thing I would help, I'd hope, try to hope you understand with that, and so you have to understand who you are, that you're uniquely created. You have to understand the kingdom and your father's business. If you want kingdom, you got to understand who you are, who, who am I to my father, and who is my father to me? How am I uniquely made? What is it about my life that carries the weight and the value? Your losses carry value in the kingdom. Your losses don't carry any value in the world, but in the kingdom, your losses carry value. You know what Jesus asks you when you lose? What have we learned, Kevin? What have we learned? Have we learned anything? Yes, we have. Here's some more resources. Go again. That's how he is. He doubles down on you. He never gives up on you. You give up on you. The kingdom doesn't give up on you. The gospel doesn't give up on you. The only one that causes you to quit is you. Other people tell you all this other stuff. Jesus isn't like that. You can fail, but we fail forward in this kingdom. And Jesus values the failure. Okay, have we learned anything, Peter? What have we learned? Okay, we have learned that lesson, so we know we're not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again, Jesus. Right? Value. Peter denied Jesus. He would never deny him again. He would never deny him again. Crucified upside down, gave his life away, said no problem. The one who denied him and cussed when he denied him. Yeah. Would never deny him again. Jesus never gave up on him. He doubled down on him. He said, have we learned anything? Great, here we go, go and do that, you know? You need to get this understanding. You need to understand the kingdom, the kingdom is a culture, and you need to understand your father's business. What is your father's business as it relates to what it is that you do? Not everybody's called to platform ministry, not everybody's called to full-time ministry in a sense of working in the church, but everybody is called to a ministry. Your work is your ministry, your home is your ministry, Every, everything relates to that. Right? Wherever you are, you have an ability to serve and seek God in that way. What is my father's business as it relates to my children? What is my father's business as it relates to the business that I'm in? What is my father's business? All of these things help you understand a purpose. A lot of you already feel a purpose. Yeah? Anybody here feel like they have a you've seen flashes or highlight reels of your future? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody at all? And you freaked out by it? You know? Yeah, come on. You see you see it, but it freaks you out. If it doesn't freak you out, it's probably not Jesus. I see myself, you know, but you have no ability to attain that. You see this highlight film or this, this perspective of God is inviting you into something that could be. That's what it is. It's an invitation. This is potential, Kevin. Do you want to follow me? And we think, I want that. I'm going to race for it. But your purpose, say it with me, my purpose relates to assignments and mandates within the seasons that I'm in. Yeah. So here, I'll give you a couple scenarios that I deal with. People come here, Pastor, I've been saved for six months. Yeah. I just came out of fire starters. I gave a few prophetic words. I laid hands on people. I am ready for my worldwide ministry. This is what they say. And I'm like, well, that may be something that God is projecting in your future, but I can tell you that's not how he operates. Your purpose is not necessarily your assignment in this season. Your purpose is not necessarily your mandate within this season. Someone that's been saved six months, I can tell you your assignment. Learn your Bible. Learn to submit to authority. Learn to serve when you don't want to. Learn to do what he tells you when you don't want to. That's your assignment. If you cannot be faithful with that which is not your own, God will never entrust it to you. That's a verse. If you cannot be faithful in serving the ministry, if all of y'all that want to be in ministry, if you cannot be faithful in saving, serving under a ministry, you will never be given your ministry. It will never happen. Write that down. You can write it down. You can put it in the, the log book. Pastor Kevin says this. Try it out. Come back and see me in 10 years and see if it works. Guarantee it will work. And it will work against you if you refuse to do that. Right? So what happens is, is that God is teaching you in a season. He's teaching you to obey him. He's teaching you to hear your voice. He may show you. He may show he may show you and say, This is what I'm gonna do with your business. I'm gonna take your business from here to here. This is what I wanna do with you in your in your career. I wanna take you from here to here, and I wanna put you in a place of influence. But I need you to fulfill the assignments in the season. Well, we don't like the assignments. We don't like to sit down and learn the Bible for three years and develop ourselves so that we can actually last. We don't want to sit down and train ourselves and equip ourselves for a new promotion or to actually even change jobs if that's the assignment. What does this assignment have to do with my purpose? The assignment has everything to do with your purpose because the line to your purpose is not a straight line. It's here, 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 then it's here. It's a lot of zigging, a lot of zagging, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of stops, a lot of starts. That's what it looks like. If you won't be faithful with your assignment, you don't. so assignments first, assignments is basic obedience. Then you get mandates. Mandates is what God is telling you to do in this season. So an assignment is more of a, you know, this is what I want you to do. And it's more of a test. A mandate is when he's telling you. And this is, again, a shift in God's voice. We have to shift God's voice. This again, this, this, this is why the church sits idle and in neutral, is because everybody wants the voice of the Father, right? I'm all in. I love the voice of the Father. The voice of the Father is comforting, the voice of the Father is affirming, the voice of the Father is mentoring and developmental. I get the warm koozies with the voice of the Father. But nobody wants the voice of the Lord. There's a huge difference. You, you ain't going to a You're not going to purpose if you don't learn to hear God's, God, the voice of the Lord. And what's the voice of the Lord? Sit down and shut up. Oh, Jesus would never say that to me. Right? Submit and do it when you don't want to. It's not about your feelings, it's about what I said. Oh, Jesus doesn't care about my feelings. Ah. Some of you, you need to make coffee. Because coffee sometimes is stronger than the feelings that you carry. We're, we're such feelers, man. And this is why. And, and you can stay. Listen, I'm going to tell you again. You don't have to do anything I'm telling you. I'm simply giving you keys. I'm simply giving you a process. There's The, the church right now, we love to roll on the floor. Oh, you know, I'm all in. Papa God, I'm all in. I'm all in. He's got it. I'm all in. I, I, I get that side of him. I get that side of him very, very clearly. But the side of him that is the hardest to digest is his lordship what he tells you to do. And he's not gonna tell you something that's not in his word. He's not gonna tell you something that's some, you know, machination of your mind. He's not gonna tell you I've been saved six months and Jesus is calling me to Kazakhstan. If you told me that, I would look at you and say I highly doubt it. But you know how many people listen to me? Very few. And so you know what they do? They run off and they shipwreck. They shipwreck, the Bible says that. They have shipwrecked their faith because they refuse to submit, they refuse to be obedient, they refuse to do the things because they don't like the Lord's voice. They want Papa's voice. You can have Papa's voice. You can stay in the living room and get yourself a cup of tea and let the blanket get tucked under your chin and you can be all nice and warm and cozy. And Jesus will come and it'll be fine. But at the end of the day, we answer for our lives, Christian. And this is why the Bible says, run the race that is set before us with endurance. Cast aside every weight. You will answer, For your life you will what are you gonna say I had a shell collection Jesus (laughs) did you see my shell collection what did you do with your life I went sailing every Sunday that's what I did I went on the beach and when I was on the beach on Sunday I contemplated everything that you would say he's gonna say "Did I tell you to do that that's not even in the scripture you know we make these things up you know it's 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 obedience like if you want purpose you can be average or you can be exceptional your choice is yours. The choice. If you want to be average, you've got a lot of company. You'll never be lonely. You'll never be lonely if you're average because there's lots of people that are average, lots of Christians that are average, but you are invited to become exceptional. If you're going to be exceptional, you won't always be accepted. If you're going to be average, everybody will like you because everybody's average. They despise the exceptional. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly right and what is the exceptional giving yourself onto the things doing the things I just met a kid uh, family here last night I, I, or last week I can't remember where they were from uh, kids big tall kid I mean it's obvious but I gave him a prophetic word I said hey when you play basketball I sort of bam 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 I gave him a prophetic word and I said man I see you playing for Duke you know I was saying all this stuff to him and he said do you know who my son is I said no he's like he's like what, like number one ranked whatever this kid that was here last do you guys remember the guy with the beard if you were here he had the big, tall kid. I don't know if you remember him, but he was here. He was sitting here. So I was talking to him, and I gave him a prophetic word, and, and he said, you know, his number, he's a sophomore, and he's the number one ranked basketball player in the state. Wow. So he told me. And he said his school of choice is Duke. And I started, you know, I was like, <laughs> I, said, I, I, I said, I see you shooting, and you're in a Duke uniform. I didn't even know he played basketball. I mean, it's kind of obvious, you know. But, uh, you know, he's a big kid. You know, okay, what are you, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of got that lanky basketball feel to him. But, you know, and, I, and that's what I was telling him. And, he saw, and I told him that. And I told him, I said, don't let pride and ego get in your way. I said, I feel like the word to you is pride and ego. And I said, don't become egotistical. I said, egotistical will work against you. You have to not, you have to, and I kept telling him, team player, team player, team player. And I don't know, it was a great, it was a, it was a good word, but like, I don't even know where I was going with that, but <laughs> it just came up. There you go. Uh, so, you know, finding out what your assignment is within the season, understanding what God is telling you. What is God telling you? What is God telling you in the season that you're in? You know your purpose, but, Lord, I'm in this season. What are you saying to me? You know what he's going to tell you? Most of the time it's preparation. When you feel like you're at a standstill and at a stop, or you feel like it's not necessarily a resistance from the enemy, you're standing still. It's because God needs you to prepare something for the next season. It's this inner relationship with the Holy Spirit. But this is how kingdom operates in your life. If you, you, God's going to show you your purpose. You can get your purpose pretty quick, Right? I'm going to have a fashion line that glorifies God and does all of these wonderful things. Beautiful vision. I mean, you told me some of it, and I was like, amazing. That's great. That's a purpose. That's a vision. What's the assignment now? What is he telling you in this season? What is he saying to you? This is your assignment, and this is what you must do, right? And he may say stuff directly to you. Your mandate is you've got to stop. Your mandate is overcome your fear. Your mandate is do what I told you to do. Stop thinking, stop overthinking it. Do what I just told you to do. You know, there's all these different things that play into this. And again, I wasn't planning on pulling this out very big, but I was just trying to show you like how this stuff works, how the kingdom actually works, how people, how people actually get and achieve the things that God has in their life. Or they at, least get, they at least get attempted, they at least get close to it. Or you can just, oh, this kid, um, he, his dad said he does the work when nobody else does it. That's what he told me. I said, what do you think makes you so good? I said, what makes you, I asked him that. I said, you're okay, you're number one ranked basketball player and wherever it is you, I don't know, wherever it is he plays. And I said, so what makes you so good? And he said, um, I do what no one else will do. You understand that? He probably has a lots of natural gifts, lots of natural abilities, but he doesn't trust in his natural gifts and his natural abilities. He's, doing, he's not wanting to be average, he's wanting to be exceptional. And so he's willing to do without it. And he says, and I said, dude, I said how do your team feel about it? He said, they hate me because I'm a sophomore and I play varsity. And that's when I was telling him, I said, you can't get egotistical. You can't let your pride rise. I said, you got to take the lower seat. I said, even if you're good, lift the other players up. I said, create a team atmosphere. Let you sell yourself to be a team player and not just some rock star that wants to be seen, you know? But he does what no one else will do. do you? That's the issue. So we have, to, we have to be willing to do. What are, what's the basics? Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. When a Christian tells me, oh, I'm in and out of five different churches or I can't show up consistently to church, I know right there you will never get your purpose. Okay. Write that down. It will not happen. God's river flows through those five things. If you cannot run with the footmen, you will never be given the horses. If you can't do the basic things, you will never be given the higher things. So you don't have five churches. You get get to pick one or two, right? And you get to decide which one you want to commit yourself to and which one is going to be the voice in your life because churches teach yokes. That's what they teach. They teach yokes. The church that you come under is what's going to be produced in your life. If you're under a vanity church, you're going to be vanity central. If you're under a legalistic church, you're going to be legalistic. If you're under a kingdom church, which is what we are, we will make you kingdom. Amen. 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 Come on. (laughs) And so that's the yoke. That's what you come under. You come under that. You have to decide that, right? If you can't financially give, sorry to say this, this hurts people's feelings, but I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to speak truth. If you cannot financially give and you cannot commit yourself to, to reaching the full tithe, you will not reach your purpose in the kingdom. Write that down. Write that down. If you don't develop a working knowledge of the Bible and you don't develop a communal atmosphere of prayer, Understanding prayer doesn't mean you're spending two hours every day in intercession. Prayer is a communion. The Bible says pray without ceasing. It's a heart of communion and an exchange between you and the Lord constantly, constantly. And he'll show you people, like this is what happens to me. He'll show me people and I'll start praying for them. I don't even know what I'm supposed to pray for, right? And then I start interceding. But I'm not walking around going, I've got two hours dedicated to my prayer closet. I don't do that. What I choose to do is I could take two hours and go commune with him and go spend time with him and let him speak, and let him lead me, and let him guide me. And and once that starts happening, I could be there all day. That's the difference, right? So it's reading, getting a working understanding of your scripture. You don't have to be a theologian, but you should understand it. You should have a working knowledge of it. You need to develop a communal atmosphere of prayer, understanding the communion between the Holy Spirit, and, and giving yourself a margin to practice the presence and learn to speak and listen, right? You need to commit and connect to church. You need to financially give, and you need to live on mission. You need to invite some people to Jesus, right? You need to find the broken, the outcast, the, the, you know, the, the wayward, the prodigals, and you need to bring people where they can receive Christ. That's living on mission. So those are, the, those are the basic elements that need to happen in your life. And once you have those basic elements happening, then God can do something with you. God can do something with you, right? So where's Joanne? Is she here? Oh, so let me, sh- let me share with about leading people to Jesus. This is a simple thing. So she does a little thing, and we started sticking it on our Instagram page, and she does church reflections. How, how many minutes is your thing, t- church reflections? Two minutes, right? Yeah. She, she'll, she'll do this and she sends it out to all of her people because she doesn't care if people know she's a Christian or not, right? That's probably the biggest step for some of you is to like, let the world know that you actually believe in Jesus, right? And so like, she'll, she'll do a little video after church every Sunday and she does church reflections. And she'll talk about three things that she learned in church today in two minutes. And we put it on our page and you probably get between two and 400 views on our page uh, every, um, every week. And she just started doing that. What would happen if all y'all did that? What would happen if all... Well, I don't do social media. <laughs> right? Social media is a tool to reach people. Is there a lot of poison on it? Yeah. Is there a lot of narcissism on it? Yeah. But, the, but that doesn't mean your voice and the voice of the Jesus can't cut through that. What would do it if you all just shot a video or, you know, or, or something or, or even put up a, a thing? Three things I learned in church this morning. You know? I mean, are, are you witnessing to people? Elevate Miami Church. Of course you are, right? I'm not giving people the four spiritual laws. 90% of Christians won't give the four spiritual laws. 90% of Christians are Andrews. They're come and see Christians. Come and see, right? Very few can give the full gospel. This is why this, this, method, this method is important of teaching people how to win people to Christ. But the truth is, is that most people come to Christ when somebody invites them to church. That is a statistical fact. People come to Christ, as the old boys say, on the arms of a loving friend, and they come to a place where they can hear the message. They can ask questions. They're around other people, right? That's, that's just typically how people do. If you if you can go out and proclaim the gospel and give people four spiritual laws and walk up to people, but hey, go for it. But most of the time, your friend circle, your family circle is going to be your immediate ability to witness. And all you got to do is come and see. Like today, we're doing family portraits. Come and see. You know, come and see. We do, we do events. If you partnered with the four or five events that we do throughout the year and you made it intentional to invite five people just to those events, you'd get one or two. You'd get two or three. And you're living and walking on mission. This, is, this stuff is inexcusable for us. It's so simple. It's so simple. Every week she's telling everybody, reflections I learned in church this morning. You know? I mean, it's, it's a witness. You're, you're, you're giving things out. People, you know, so it's just, it's just little little ways of doing this. I'm, again, I'm talking about purpose, and I'm, I'm going over over time, but <laughs> y'all like purpose? Y'all like new purpose here? Right, you must be a purposeful group. So Bible says cast aside everything that gets in our way. This is the idea. Whatever gets in the way, get rid of it, right? One of the things it talks about too, one of the things that's necessary is not just understanding these things, but also understanding getting rid of your junk. Y'all got junk? Let me help you out. Y'all got junk, right? Anybody here got junk? Right. We're going to see who the liars are in the room right here. <laughs> you all got junk. You got emotional baggage. You got hurts. You got hang-ups. You got habits. Working through that stuff, healing that stuff, ridding yourself of that stuff, going through that, Those all of those things that encumber you, and that's another conversation. But working through that, hindrances, obstacles, things that get in your way, No, wasting time, whatever, but dealing also with the emotional junk and the lies that you believe. You don't believe you're good enough. Who told you that, right? You don't believe you can achieve it. Who told you that, right? There's all kinds of things. We gotta deal with our junk. Bible says get rid of it. So this is, again, moving into purpose. John understood how he was. This is what kingdom is. What a beautiful thing to have a groom. Can you imagine... You know, this is a dream. We see some of it. It's already happening. You know, we're already seeing fruit from this. We're already seeing things coming up from the ground. Is it a, a whole group of people that move with kingdom. What? <laughs> you know, they come, people come and encounter, and they come and elevate, and they're like, what kind of church is this? I've never been around people like this before. And that's exactly the point. Why? Because we're, it's not religion. It's not church culture. It's kingdom. And everything that happens here is kingdom. And it's this movement in and through, and it's the fluidity of the kingdom right? And all things are being added because the kingdom is being sought. All things are being added because we're moving in the rhythms of the kingdom. What a dream, right? Amen. Come on, Shirley. Amen. <laughs> he uses this language. I'm going to really run for, I'm going to basically buckle up because now I'm going to auction off the rest of this chapter. So here it is. So he uses, <laughs> he uses the language bride and a bridegroom. It's this his Old Testament language. God said that I am the husband of my people. What a beautiful thing. Jesus chooses to relate to you in the most intimate way. He chooses to be called a husband to you. He chooses to bind himself to you in the most intimate way. So what's the message? Jesus loves you. God is for you, right? He chooses to be, to be known to you and to allow himself to be known of you. Your cat may not want you. Your dog may not want you. You may not want you, but Jesus always wants you. Always. Always. You are loved because he said so. You are worthy because he says so. He loves you. And so John is saying basically the bride and the bridegroom is using this language, and he's trying to get the disciples to understand these people belong to Jesus. They don't belong to me. Right? Narcissistic American church, we think we're all about the rock star. There's one rock star and his name's Jesus. Right? And the pastor should never overshadow it. I'm a light. He's the sun. Right? I can give a direction, but he can dispel darkness. Big difference. Big difference, right? We're all lights, but he's the sun. No one can shine as brightly as the sun. I might be able to show you a way, but this is the one that you need to look to because he's the all in all. <laughs> he, says, he said, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. The, job's at the job of the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, the best man is to teach the bride who, is, who, her, who her betrothed is. He loves you he's compassionate, he's generous, he's not against you, he's a king, he's a lord, he'll fight for you, he'll die for you, he hears you. It's it's to get the people to fall in love with Jesus and not fall in love with the pastor. It doesn't mean the pastor, and I say that, pastors are like, well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that the pastor doesn't have honor or the pastor isn't respected or dignified, but the pastor should never be elevated above Jesus. You understand? We, in America, we go to churches not because of the content of the teaching. We go for cool hair, right? Ooh, he's got cool hair. Ooh. I told First Service, I'm all in. If I had hair and I had more hair, I'd have a new hairstyle every other week. I mean, I'd have a mohawk, a faux hawk, and a mullet, man. I'd be like, what? You know, I'd be blinging my hair too. But there had to be something about my hair. There's got to be something behind my hair, Right? It's not about all of these sort of externals. It's there's got the substance is Jesus. And that needs to be emphasized every single week. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Always and forever Jesus. Right? And so it's not about vanity. It's not about, you know, if he's got his shirt unbuttoned down to his navel, you know. Or how ripped the pastor is. Oh, he's so ripped. Molly, you went physical, all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's what we front with. Those are, those are accessories. We front Jesus, man. Jesus is, is the all. And so he tells him that no one knows the things of heaven except the one who came down. This truth, he's saying, well, I can only teach you earthly things or what I know. Jesus can teach you eternal things. Right? He has revelation. He has the keys to the mystery of the realms that he created. There are mysteries of this kingdom to you it has been given known the mysteries of this kingdom in my father's house there are many realms many aranos that's the word many mansions it's the word aranos it means realms in my father's house there are many realms many dimensions i go there now to provide access to you you have access to the realms of god <gasps> there's realms of god yes there are there are keys multiple not one just a thought Jesus has come down. He is what you're seeking. The earth is limited. He must increase. I must decrease. This is the idea. My last point, and then I'm really going to go fast we must decrease he must increase this is another reason so we don't we have to understand the stages in which we're developed over times and seasons god will develop us until we're fully integrated in a kingdom lifestyle okay so i'm going to throw you out there jeremiah cuz i know you don't care so i was talking to jeremiah i've been working with jeremiah for how like years right since we started this church right just discipleship development the whole thing right so you can punch me out later. He's a boxer and he actually is pretty wicked with a bow staff, I'm told, and nunchucks. So if I come to church next week and I got broken arms, you know what happened. He, he, he bow staffed me. That's what happened. So Jeremiah comes from like negative 15. I have watched him over the course of years and I'm not trying to brag on Jeremiah. I'm trying to brag on what God will do. And the reason that God will do it is because he listens. He doesn't always agree. He fights. He kicks, he cries, he complains, you know, he bemoans, but at the end of the day, he listens. And I've watched God take him from negative 15. I've watched him reset his life to zero. And I've watched him not, not just now start taking steps, but he takes strides, right? So, I did, you know, he's part of a coaching thing, I, this coaching thing I do, but I've been working with him for a long time. And I would watch him over years, and he would fight to get to take a step. And it would take him a year to make that step. And then he would fight to take another step. And it would take him another year to take that step. And his life was like begrudgingly moving forward in all of these incremental ways. But as he began to fight through all of the the, the culture and the nonsense and the things that had been happening in his life and the baggage that he came from. I was on the phone with him yesterday and I heard the Lord say, he doesn't take steps, he takes strides. I was telling him on the phone, I said, you know, you take, you know, look at the steps you've taken. And I heard the Holy Spirit said, he's not taking steps anymore. He's taking strides. And I told him, I said, look at the gap of time that's in between the choices and the things that God says to you and the things that actually happen. Look at the, look at the, look how the time has shortened. Whereas before it would take you 18 months, two years of grudgery and fight and tooth and nail and knife in your teeth to get there. And now you can take, you can do it in months, months, months. Right? And the shift has been consistent. It's not always been as fast as he wants. His anger, his frustration is related because he's not where he wants to be. And I'm like, of course you're not where you want to be. You know, none of us are where we want to be. But you're fulfilling the assignments in the, in the season that you're in, and you're doing what Jesus is telling you, and God is march, and God is moving you forward. You know? And again, I don't say that to brag on him because like all of us, he's still got a lot of areas to work on. But from, if you understand where he came from, and what God has done in his life, you wouldn't even recognize him if you saw him when I first met him, right? But, he's, but the, the credit that I give him is not because of any perfection externally in his life, but he wants change so bad that he's willing to do whatever, whatever it takes. The kingdom is for the desperate. Deliverance is for the desperate. It's not for those who want it. It's for those who will do whatever it takes, whatever's necessary. I've said the same thing to him to many, many other people, and they don't listen to me. You know, it's not because again I'm a guru. I'm just telling them what the kingdom's. What, th- this is what you do. This is what you do. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do this. I don't want to do that. Oh, that doesn't sound like a good idea. I don't want anything. Yeah. Okay. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. You know. So I, I I I say that to just illuminate that picture that this this kingdom works not because of Jeremiah. He's just an example that's sitting in front of me. This this works on all scales. I've seen this work many, many times because the kingdom is alive and the kingdom is real. The other idea is that it's got to be fully integrated. You must increase, he must increase, I must decrease. Your life has to become fully integrated. Most Christians never fully integrate their life. Jesus is Lord on Sunday, but he's not on Monday. Huh? I'll give it to you. Looks like this say five key areas, three realms, three functions key areas of your life your faith do you do you you live the gospel as Jesus tells you to or do you live the gospel as you interpret it as you think right convenient Christianity I told first service we've got to get past the point of asking Lord I Lord what are you asking of me what are you asking of me and we've got to move to the place Lord what are you telling me because asking denotes this idea that I can disagree with it if I want to well, what are you saying, God? Jesus, what are you asking? Well, I don't know. Let me check my schedule. I don't know. If I don't have anything going on, I might do that. You know? But please understand, I've got prior commitments, so I know you're asking this to me, but I don't know if I really can. That's where we are. Well, Lord, what are you telling me? What is your word to me? What is your direct word to me? What are you saying to me in this season? We've got to move to that point. Again, talking about purpose, it's full integration. Full integration. Again, I want to just state the fact, I know I'm saying heavy stuff or like I'm saying challenging stuff. You don't have to do any of this. You're a Christian for a reason, right? What do you seek? Why do you follow the Lord? Well, I want eternal life. Well, don't, you know, well, there's a little bit more than eternal life here, people. So your family, your finances, your future, your friendships, are these things integrated? Do you operate with them the way the Lord would have you? And if you do pursue them the way the Lord would have you, your, the three realms, your spirit, do you take time to feed your spirit, to develop your spirit, to integrate your spirit with his spirit? Do you take time to, to like, deal and take inventory of your soul? Does your soul still dominate you? Is there any area of your life where Jesus does not dominate you? That's the question. Some people are dominated by fear. Some people are dominated by anxiety. Your emotions are Lord and Jesus is not. I'm not talking about experiencing normal emotion. I'm talking about when anxiety grabs you and you can't move. I'm talking about when fear grabs you and you can't move. Fear is your master. Jesus isn't. And there's a reason why fear is your master, and that's the that's another story for another time. I'm simply trying to show you what needs to be integrated. Your body, this is a big issue for modern American churches and modern American Christians. Your body doesn't belong to you. This is hard. This is hard. You mean I can't move in with my boyfriend? Nope. Not if you're a Christian. Oh, no, you can. All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. You're not gonna succeed that relationship, God will not bless that relationship. You're not going to hell because you're shacking up with Jim, but God's not going to bless it. And you can write that down. You can write that down. He will not bless that. He blesses the covenant of marriage. He doesn't bless anything else, right? Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, or they're under the judgment of sin. God's not judging the person. He's judging the sin. Another story. Your body, your body doesn't belong to you. The Bible says you were bought with a price and your life is not your own. If you want kingdom. Or you can be a carnal Christian, like Roman says. You're believers, but you're forever bound to the passions of the flesh, the wills and the whims of your will, and what you think, and what you know, and what you want. You can be a carnal Christian, lots of those. Or you can be a kingdom Christian, where my body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Jesus. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean I'm perfect, doesn't mean I do everything right, but it just means I'm not not giving myself license to do things. I'm just not doing it. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to align my life, my body, my soul, my spirit to the things that matter to him. This, again, is integration, Christian. This, again, is kingdom, right? This is how we get there. This is how we get there, right? All in. So here's the question. So then he says, um, Jesus testifies, and he's the one to come down. He gives all this knowledge, and people don't receive him. John's saying that. He's saying, listen, Jesus is speaking the truth of heaven, and people don't receive him. Jesus spoke to tens of thousands of people, and he had 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost. What does that tell you? Right? He had a lot of fans. He didn't have a lot of followers. He had a lot of fans. He didn't have a lot of disciples. But that was irrelevant to him because it wasn't the number that mattered to him. It was the quality of the individual that he was working with. And he'll take twos and turn them into tens, as my wife says. The 10 doesn't want to play. The ten's too egotistical. The ten's too arrogant. Pick the two and develop the two into a 10 and then stick it right in the face of the 10 and say, look what the Lord will do. Yeah, that's what he does. The noble won't come. Jesus has said, go find the outcasts. Go to the highways and the byways. Bring me whoever wants this. The arrogant, the elite, the noble, the rich, the whatever, you know the, the you know, perfect person doesn't want to come. Leave them, leave them to themselves. Bring me the broken. I'll take the broken and I'll make them whole. and I'll use do their light, use their life more than anything. This is what he's telling them. People don't come because of ignorance and arrogance. That's why they don't come. People are either ignorant of what really is available to them, or they're arrogant in the positions that they hold. They, they, they fear what they're giving up. They're too concerned with what they give up right? Fear of failure is always greater than the desire for gain. All you business people should understand that. Your fear of failing will always out, outpace your desire for gain. The fear of coming to Christ and what you'll have to give up will always be greater than your desire to give up the life, that you, the familiarity of a life you no longer, that he's offering you to come out of. The people who come to Christ easily are the desperate. <laughs> nothing to lose. I got nothing. You're the best offer I have in going there. So we have to embrace Jesus. The Bible, when it uses to embrace Christ, it uses, this, it's, a, it's an aggressive term. It means to lay hold of with desperation. So when you come to Jesus, it isn't, well, let me consider the offer. You know, I'm looking into Christianity. I think I'm going to look into Buddhism, too. Yeah, a friend of mine's a Scientologist. I might go over there, too. That's not, that's not the offer. It doesn't work like that. Jesus is all in. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. And when the offer is given to you, you are to embrace it. You are to take it to heart. That's what the scripture says. And your life's transformed, right? <laughs> I wrote on my notes. I didn't say it. But, you know, people are like, I don't want to give up. I like to sin. I like to party, man. You know, I don't want to give that up for Jesus. My question is always, what has sin done for you? Now let's just ask this question. What has sin done for you except destroy you and give you something itchy? right? Destroy your relationships, destroy your mind, destroy your body, destroy your business. What has your selfish behavior and your sinful, willful actions produced? What has it produced? Nothing, because it won't produce nothing. It's a cycle of death and destruction, brokenness and despair. I just talked to a business guy yesterday and he's telling me some things and I said, you can achieve a lot on your own, bro. He's like, well, I I think I can do this and I think I can do that and why do I need the Lord? I'm like, like, you can do it. I said, I'm sure you're a capable person. You know that you're in with the in crowd. You know the whole thing. You'll achieve a lot, but you'll lose it. And if you lose it, you will not, if you, listen, if you invest in Jesus, if the Lord gives it to you, Bible says the blessings of the Lord are sure and he adds no sorrow to it. If God gives it to you, it's not going anywhere. And if it does go somewhere, he commits himself to give it back to you. So all y'all that have lost things that God has given to you, he commits himself to give it back to you. If you build it on your own and you lose it on your own, there's nothing else there. Nothing else there. It's about Jesus. Am I losing here are y'all getting real quiet on me all of a sudden? Like, no, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can smile for the picture after this, Pastor. I'm not too sure. All things belong to Jesus. John says, whoever receives the Son gets everlasting life. Happy day. I love it. We will live forever. Forever and ever, as the children would say. You are a room full of immortals. Sons and daughters of the highest, and you will live forever. Why do we have to die? Because flesh cannot inherit the eternal, the Bible says only spirit can inherit the eternal so our bodies are set aside like a tent but our spirit lives forever and we're given a new body in jesus right some of you get to pick your model that's what i'm asking the lord we get you know do i get the ferrari version you know what i'm saying you know it's like all this stuff but you live forever you live forever what have you to fear huh you're immortal you live forever Bible says, he that has received the Son has everlasting life, but the one who will not or rejects the Son, they are abiding under the wrath, the wrath and the judgment of sin. Man is born in sin. What do you got to do to be condemned to hell? Be born. Every human being born on the planet is under condemnation of sin. Every one of us. This is why Jesus is Savior. He became like us and as us to save us from the iniquity that was in us. The iniquity is the iniquity of Adam. It is the transference of sin. This is what condemns us. Smoking, drinking, and chewing doesn't condemn us. The iniquity of our bloodline, descendant of Adam, is what we're condemned. We're all condemned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Our problem is iniquity. That is the sin of condemnation. We must be born again. The only way out is Jesus. It's not Buddha, it's not Islam, you know, it's not L. Ron Hubbard, it's not Krishna, it's not not atheism, it's not being a good person. You cannot be good enough to get you out of the hole that you're in. You're born into darkness. The Bible says you're spiritually dead, but when you come to Christ, you're made alive. That's the born-again experience. You're like, wow, I don't know what happened. Something happened. You're made alive. You have to come out of darkness and into light. Mankind is lost. All, is in, all are in sin, all are under judgment of sin. And when you come to Jesus, you come out from under sin and the judgment that rests upon sin, and you come into Jesus in his righteousness, and you're born again. It's a spiritual transaction. No longer born of the blood of Adam, but you're born of the blood of Christ. No longer descendants of Adam, which all of us are. All of us are descendants of Adam. We are born of one blood. Not many races, one race, the human race. Red, yellow, black, and white, we all come from Adam. Adam. All of us come from one common seed, one common blood. We don't come from monkeys. We don't come from orangutans. We don't come from a cesspool. You were fearfully and wonderfully mated by a creator who loved you and made you in his image. Hmm? As sons and daughters to be a family. And God loves you so much that when he lost his sons and daughters, he took counsel among himself, the Godhead, and the father wanted his children back, and the son said, I'll give my life for them. Yeah? And the Holy Spirit said, I'll empower them. And this is the Christian faith. God so loved, the Father so loved, so loved, right? The Son came to die for us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came as us, because we can't save us. <laughs> you can't save you, but Jesus can. So i want gonna say a quick prayer. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, today's your day. The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you'll be saved. It's that simple. If you don't know Jesus today, all you gotta do is open your heart and ask him to come inside. You say, I don't understand it. That does, that's irrelevant. He doesn't tell you to understand it. He tells you to believe it. You can believe in things that you don't understand. You're sitting in a chair that you don't understand. You fly on an airplane that you don't understand. you drive in a car that you don't understand, right? There's plenty of things that you can do that you don't understand. You give your life to Christ. So we're gonna say a, qu- a prayer. It's about 40 seconds. It'll change your eternity. It'll change your everything. And I, I don't even dare you. I compel you. Embrace him, grab it, limited time offer. Let's just pray together. Elevate's gonna pray with us if you're at home and you've never given your life to Jesus, today's your day, let's just say it. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the savior and I need a savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you Jesus and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to heal me I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. <laughs> all right, God loves you. We love you. We got a prayer team available over here. If you're getting your pictures taken, there's a sign-up sheet over there, and uh, have a nice picture. We're going to give you a picture, beautiful picture. You'll have it next week or a couple weeks. So,